0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Terminus, after a little bit of a break. uh, The squid game of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Pig Destroyer is literally a fed operation.
1: And I'm the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. uh, 2013 Interview with Prescriptor McGovern of Absu on The Age of Metal on YouTube. Uh, Is that something Um, worth checking out, or... Oh, definitely worth checking out. It's uh, classic lore. It's just, if you want to see, uh, uh, if you want to see Prescriptor getting uh, interviewed by an attractive woman and completely looking past her to tell you everything you need to know about Mesopotamian (laughs) occult metal. um, It's a, or sorry, mythological occult metal. Uh, This is, this is it. It's, um, It's sort of a it's a legendary feat of autism.
0: I think I think I've seen like clips of it before, and then it reminds me of a a very strange interview from I want to say like the early two thousands with Morbid Angel. There was some mm-hmm. gimmick website that was having attractive topless girls interview metal musicians, mm-hmm. and watching Dave Vincent try to like struggle past what was right in front of him was equally amusing in the opposite way. <laughs> Oof, yeah, uh. So how was, uh, how was your break, man?
1: I, uh, I uh, took a good trip to see my gal, and uh, it, was, it was excellent. How was yours?
0: <laughs> I, I took care of my buddy whose appendix exploded, and I took care of his dogs, and I left for work, and they ate a whole potted plant, so I had to clean that up. Uh, it was a large ficus that they ate and proceeded to... Scatter all the soil around the entire apartment, Uh, and then I uh, caught up on a lot of old records that I haven't listened to in a long time to uh, better hone my craft, I guess, so it's been eventful.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, sucks for you.
0: (laughs) Yours yours was probably more fun than mine. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we got a show for you. Uh, We are fortunately, doing the sandwich today. It's been a while. Uh, so first record of the night, uh, we're going to have Black Death with also Sprach Das Chaos out on End All Life Productions. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, Black Death is a fairly long running Russian black metal band, uh, who do uh, a sort of angular dissonant take on more traditional second wave ideas. Uh, they brush up against a lot of stuff that we cover on the show, but they don't sound exactly like anyone else. And they're a band that I've known about for a long time, but haven't really closely followed. So I figured, let's try the new one and uh, see what they have.
1: Yeah, no, I, I've uh, was I enjoyed hearing this. This is a band I've heard good things about. I think from you and others. Uh, so um, next up, we've got Henbane Chariot with Alpine Seance out on throne of may uh the other throne of may release we've reviewed this summer was uh the secret fire debut um so this is by a related project that actually has the dude from secret fire playing drums uh and it is uh like secret fire pagan black metal strongly influenced by neo folk but here much closer to uh neo folk and dark ambient music um That that side's brought out. The more overtly metal sides are more muted. Uh, And, um, yeah, this is, uh, like Secret Fire, it's pretty distinctive stuff. And after the break, we will be doing Chronique de l'Insurrection by Pedretts on Antic. This is a, well, I think think we were expecting a sort of uh, French pagan black metal record off of the you know, the, the given from the label that is the home of the chivalric style, but it's something more like, uh, I think as you've described it, it's something m- more like a certain kind of power metal or folk metal. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a somewhat bit of a left turn, um, but I think for, well, certainly for people who are interested in the label, this will be interesting to discuss. And it's got a pretty cool theme. It's based on the, uh, the revolt against the French Revolution in the Vendée region, uh, which is certainly very black metal. So uh, looking forward to talking about that.
0: And wrapping up our evening is going to be the return of Dwister Monlicht with uh, uh, Influisteringen van de Duivel uh, out on Christian Metal Underground Records. Uh, Dwister Monlicht, we covered their last full-length last year, which was an extremely uh, devoted take on uh, Under a Funeral Moon and Transylvanian Hunger-era Darkthrone. The core of that remains the same on this record, but I think it's been uh, expanded upon in interesting ways. Uh, And uh, this was a a personal request by one of the guys behind the band who uh, liked our last review a lot. So we'll revisit and see what's changed in the past year. All right, so first up for tonight, Black Death with also Sprock Das Chaos uh, out on End of All Life Productions. So uh, as I said at the top, uh, Black Death is a band I've been familiar with for a number of years, and uh, I've listened to here and there, but I haven't followed super closely. Um, I saw them play live opening for Inquisition, I think, probably like eight years ago, something like that. And they've uh, they've always just kind of been plugging away, you know, a, a band with you know some level of notoriety in the underground, but never really exploding. But that seems to be where they're most comfortable. Uh, so Black Death is a Russian black metal band who play a style that's kind of difficult to describe. Um, you can you can see an association with Orthodox black metal. Uh, with kind of traditional second wave stuff uh, as well as kind of more experimental uh, sort of like blood Bloodoss Nord type stuff but none of that really encapsulates their sound um, which I think comes to a real head on this record. Uh, So for those who don't know also Sprock Dust Chaos is basically two tracks um, uh, making about 34 minutes of music Uh, So these are big, ambitious, sprawling numbers. But their overall effect is sort of like using very complicated pieces, um, very interesting uh, melodic choices and uh, bizarre sort of guitar intervals and sort of experimental ideas in general to make something that is surprisingly like uh, second wave black metal. Um, You know, like using some sort of uh, bizarre materials to make a renaissance painting you know um mm-hmm. but i'm interested this is a band that you've heard about a lot but i don't know if you've ever like listened to so what, what was your impression of
1: this you know because the internet is the internet i'm sure i've heard it a little bit at certain points um and i think i listened to some with Arion from hedon's heart when i interviewed him uh he uh he at least was one of the labels that put out the last record uh and um so i've i've heard i've i've heard it from there and i've encountered it elsewhere in my wanderings for and i've known the name for a relatively long time uh it's yeah i mean in quick answer to your question yes i i i quite like this and it's something that's going to require repeat listens to absorb and just determine exactly how much i like it uh it yeah, is I agree. Very, it's, it's very very daunting. difficult. <laughs> it's it's certainly difficult but rewarding. Uh um I think this is one of those kinds of bands that are sort of like I don't know what's the term, like sort of in the uh Untercanon, you know, like <laughs> sort of known names, but only for people who are like really in it. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah like like I know that the guy the main dude from this band or one of them it's had a pretty stable lineup I think uh one of the songwriters is he's been doing metal archives reviews for years right as colonel oh, parabellum really? huh that's Yeah I think so um yeah and um the uh and so he he has this presence there if you click on the uh YouTube for this album uh the uh there are only three it's been out since september 30th and in an internet that is full of people who are eager to find and comment on virtually any black metal record that is posted there are only three comments and one is by a guy maxime Tacardi, whose name you may have heard because he's illustrated a ton of shit and his name and he's got a project called kfr that's somewhat known hmm. uh similarly like heaton's heart sort of stubbornly underground label really kind of uninterested and uninterested in publicity most of the rest of the stuff is sort of dutch pagan black metal but they're and german pagan black metal but there's an exception for this band purely in virtue of sort of authenticity and seriousness um i guess in terms of sound parallels uh, a thing i've talked about i think with arian is that they're one of those bands that uh kinda does does kinds of things that have become associated with DSO or I guess with Blue Dows Nord or whatever, but with completely different raw material. hmm Um sort of Yeah, the the tools used to make those
0: sounds are not the same. They they might have a similar effect, but it's mm-hmm. clearly not technically derived from the same sources.
1: Yeah, and um, yes, it's less of, you know, DSO is generating those dissonance effects or whatever, with by often by drawing on like post-hardcore and things like that. That mm-hmm. is not really here at all, as you pointed out. It's coming very much from within black metal. Uh, um, and it is... Uh, I don't know, the playing is very precise and intense but it's not particularly uh, I, I it, it never aspires to that same level of like flourishing virtuosity or technicality right um, yeah
0: there's a, even even at its most ambitious moments there's a workmanlike quality to this music mm-hmm. there, there's something I I, I kind of want to touch on that you know the idea that all of this comes from within black metal um, mm-hmm. which I totally agree with. You know, I, I think that when you I'm, hear a... I think you wrote that in the notes, to be fair. Oh, yeah, maybe sense. <laughs> um, <so>. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. But, yeah, no, I, th- I think that, you know, I think that a lot of people listen to this and they will call it something like experimental black metal, which is, you know, like a, you know experimental is now used as a shorthand for kind of, like, dissonant, off-putting, you know, deliberately odd music. But mm-hmm. it's not experimental in terms of incorporating industrial elements or drawing mm-hmm. from outside of metal. All of these ideas, every idea on this record can be found before like 1998, but it's drawn mm-hmm. together in a, a really interesting way. So I, I, I think to, to sum it up, my feelings are like yours. I do really like this. It will take multiple listens to really unlock it just because these songs are so sprawling and, you know, trying to relate all of the individual parts to the whole is difficult, uh, just because mm-hmm. everything's so extended. But like you touch on later on, kind of in your notes, these things actually, you know, they are structured like relatively normal black metal songs. You know, there's not a ton of huge developmental passages. There are things happening continuously, even in the 20-minute song that closes the record you know
1: you know i think that's another important thing to stress is that i mean here's a stupid thing right the band is called black death and so you might assume it sounds like death metal but as you have pointed out it doesn't really uh and death metal is certainly another one of the places where you might go to create certain kinds of uh uh, tormented, disorienting, uh, atmospheres. Um, there are two other, like, sort of broad brush, there are two relevant parallels, right? So in terms mm-hmm. of being like DSO without in anyway being DSO, this is parallel to the band who i I'm making a theme of repping this year, uh, Ackercock. Both mm-hmm. of them, the Ackercock is Black Death Metal with an emphasis on the Death Metal. Both Ackercock and, and Black Death predate DSO and we're doing work in the sonic territory. I think I don't know what the, I don't know what the oldest black death stuff sounds like. Do you know what like fucking full moon foundation is like? Is that like this? Bottomless no, when
0: I, when I heard them, so mm-hmm. looking at metal archives, it was probably later that mm-hmm. I saw them because they were touring for the gift album in 2015. So it must've been 2015 mm-hmm. when I saw them. Uh, I have a gift shirt actually. It's very cool art. Um, no, I'm not familiar with the older stuff, but I'm guessing i I'm guessing everything's been an evolution of this sort of liminal space black metal. They seem very committed to the idea of the outer edges of the second wave and and building a band around the connective tissue of those weirder bands, you know
1: yeah well anyway, point being both yeah, so this Black Death and Ickercock both predated DSO and were active um and you know dso's most care- the material that gets associated with dso influence now happens well into dso's career so um this is so this is another approach to that sound that's happening from completely within black metal right? uh, the other thing that we could compare this to is a band that you know better than me uh which is lucifugum
0: Yeah, uh, I didn't think about them while listening to it, but after uh, reading you mention that name, you're completely right. Uh, Especially the mid-era records, um, which Mm -hmm. tend not to be as liked by people. Uh, Stuff Mm -hmm. like uh, Vector 33 or uh, Sociopath Philosophy Cynicism, um, Mm -hmm. which are awesome records. Everybody should be listening to everything that Louisa Fugum did. Um, But those are very interesting very disorienting dissonant black metal records that nonetheless still have like nothing to do with death spell omega orthodox anything like that it was this very organic outgrowth of a a single band's particular fascinations and uh you're right i definitely get some of the same atmosphere
1: on this record I think also in terms of being from Eastern Europe, but not sounding anything like uh, we expect Slavic black metal to sound like. Yeah, exactly. It's been, you know, Slavic black metal has been folded down,
0: you know, over time into one or two kind of sounds, even though there's tons of bands out in Eastern Europe that are doing all kinds of interesting stuff all the time. Um, Well, we should stop talking around it. We should actually play music. Um, So... Off the first song, uh, uh, Perilisiertes Aquinoctium, Um, Mm -hmm. this is actually one of the few places on the record where things are a little bit more patient and take some time to develop, Uh, but what occurs is interesting this this slow shift that's really driven by the vocal performance which is one of the highlights of this record super unhinged very like early Bethlehem and it's kind of uh, mm. just like desperate not trying to be a black metal voice thing um, so you're going to have this really lovely melancholic riff the vocals come in they start getting more and more unhinged and then everything kind of dissolves into something a little bit like Blood Osnor. just has this horrible like broken machinery quality so uh we'll check that out of the track that's kind of the closest thing to a a normal climax is sort of that melodic riff at the beginning but um Mm -hmm. i i really like this the smart songwriting that's occurring here because everything is based off this very standard kind of black metal dyadic figure that Mm -hmm. that's like a whole step and then the next riff comes in. It keeps that whole stuff, and then it modulates it to like a third or something. It's all based off of two chord figures and a, a kind of arpeggiated figure over it. But it, it keeps kind of warping itself and decaying, um, which seems to be kind of a thing that I've heard in a lot of Black Death stuff. This idea of like beauty that gives way to like decay and negativity and insanity. Um, And that's a a sort of structural motif you'll hear in a lot of places across this record, these very sort of elegant traditional black metal melodies that just crumble into these kind of disastrous, noisy parts. Um, So so it's a a good fusion of just like black metal chops in terms of riff writing, as well as more kind of high-minded, like arty ambitions.
1: Well, uh, let's talk about the, um, horrible mess that decays into afterwards, right? <laughs> the, um, uh, this sort of... Mm-hmm. Um, the vocals get more room to roam there. Uh, mm-hmm. It I, I think they might be... Is he doing all the lyrics in German? Is this one of those bands that does all the lyrics in German?
0: Yeah, despite being Russian, I think everything they do is in German. I'm, I'm not sure why, but that's always been a thing for the band.
1: Well, it kind of fits, because, I mean, maybe it fits with the not really sounding Slavic thing. A lot of the, you know, the kind of, um, atmospherically it might be close to closer to kind of really miserable expressionist painting, or like, uh, you know... Schoenberg, or uh, yeah, yeah, that's kind true. of that kind of, or like, like, uh, The Golem by, uh, by Myrink, this kind of ghastly central European aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can see that, yeah, uh, you know, they've got their plague doctor mask and stuff. It's, um, and there's also a long tradition of like this sort of like, uh, Russian high culture articulating itself in German. Like you oh, see yeah. that if you, I don't know anything about that, that that'd be your field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like uh, in the 19th century, lots of Russian intellectuals just like German stuff. You know, if you read like Crime and Punishment or something, they're all just uh, they're all uh, uh, very uh, taking. There's, you know, they're anxiously working through Nietzsche or whatever. The title. Uh, <laughs> The, the title of this re- record is also obviously a Nietzsche nod, right? Instead of mm-hmm. Thus Spake Zarathustra, or I guess, what is it in Emperor, Thus Spake the Night Spirit? Here it's Thus Spake Chaos, The Chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, musically, uh, what's cool, though, is during that sort of grinding part, the bass starts running free from the guitars. And if you zero in <laughs> on the bass, that's actually every iteration of it might change a little bit but that he's actually just going do, 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 do. It's pretty much straight quarter notes shifting through kind of uh this really elaborate neoclassical melody
0: yeah yeah but it it has this like a horribly dissonant effect especially against the probably like improvisational kind of guitar noise stuff that's going on it's really neat
1: yeah, yeah, especially against that against that context, but if you isolate it, it it's quite, I mean, not like gorgeous or epic sounding, but it's a kind of eerie beautiful melody. Uh, one thing also about this band related to that is, you know, free roaming bass, which we've been hearing more and more of these days. It's because it's a the core songwriting duo is from back in the day are two brothers. Parabellum does bass and vocals and his brother abyss looker does uh guitars <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> yes and they've had the same drummer since 2007 uh, a lady named maya which is remarkable that you know that that the that they've had a virtually stable lineup since i mean to have like the same to have a lineup change and then have that stay for another 13 years that yeah, gives your band impressive. sort of unprecedented longe- longevity yeah um <laughs> So, so basically they've got because there's like bass as core member right there's like fleshed out bass stuff um, yeah you got anything more for that one or uh, no
0: uh, well, we should get into because we got three samples off the back track which makes sense because it's 20 mm-hmm. minutes of music uninterrupted mm-hmm. uh, by the way I'd like to say how how nice it is that it's a 20 minute song that doesn't have like a, like an ambient interlude in it or, like, a drone break or anything. No, it's it's mm-hmm. it's music all the way through. Um, yeah, Which I, I guess, you know, shouldn't be this crazy thing, but, you know, apparently it is for Long Blackwell mm-hmm. songs these days. Um, so, Im Labyrinth, which is clearly, like, that's the centerpiece of the record, is this sprawling composition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a piece from toward the beginning of the track. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we get into the idea of, okay, so we've got these really angular really kind of dissonant melodic phrases we've got these kind of lurching rhythms this understated technicality uh, all of that suggests something kind of akin to orthodox black metal or just more avant-garde black metal in general but i feel like the ultimate effect of it is something a lot closer to a traditional like second wave song um Clearly, there's like some influence from something like Grand Declaration of War, but I'm betting you probably know the reference points for something like this better than I do, just because you know mm-hmm. all the weird, like mid 90s, like black metal that wasn't so popular but was still Scandinavian that I don't mm-hmm. know about. So we'll listen to this section and you can do my job for me and tell me what it sounds like.
1: <laughs> all right, that's that, that, that's our, uh, that's, that's how we work.
0: That's the division of labor. <laughs> yeah, ni- neither
1: of us, ni- neither of us does our own job, but the other person does. So. I,
0: I just fill you in on what old school death metal band things sound like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Or compare it to emo, uh-huh. whichever. listening to that again and kind of uh, developing off something I was talking about earlier um, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if uh, maybe old Bethlehem isn't a more important thing to this band than I first realized um, you know Bethlehem is something that you know always just gets lumped into depressive black metal when in reality the first few Bethlehem records sound nothing like what we call depressive black metal now I mean they're they're really crazed-sounding and bizarre. Uh, there's, uh, certain aspects of this music really remind me of the atmosphere of records like Suicide
1: or uh, Dark Metal. Maybe you should play us a sample of Bethlehem so that our listeners um, know how Bethlehem sounds. Because one. I barely know. And I mean, I'm sure I, I did check them out back in the day when they were on the tip of everyone's tongue in the mm-hmm. dsbm days and i was like whoa this is a uh, pretty weird and unpleasant uh and i sort of uh noped on out of there but um the uh yeah so i i can vaguely remember i also remember it's really heavy
0: uh yes it is uh, um yeah and actually yeah i've got to... very
1: celtic frost very celtic frosty
0: Very Celtic frosty. It's got this weird uh, simplicity to how the music is delivered, but there's a a strangely elaborate kind of uh, harmonic underpinning to it. Um, So actually, yeah, uh, I've got something.
1: Okay. Before we go to your Bethlehem sample, though, because otherwise I was doing the thing I was supposed to be doing during that and trying to think (laughs) what that sounded like. Uh, Okay. So before we go to Bethlehem... um, the weird thing is I don't really think it it definitely sounds that passage definitely in some way sounds closer to normal black metal uh quote unquote I use that term with some scare quotes uh but um really I think it sounds like Slavic that's that part actually sounds Slavic in the melody uh it's um what's weird about it is that the guitar and bass and i think at times the various guitar parts are grinding against each other but if you follow the main riff it's got this figure like um it uh it's really more like a uh I don't know, kind of forest or blasty graveland riff than you might imagine, in terms of the rhythms that are being used there. Um, some kind of... And it's all kind of in basic... Diet, it's it's all kind of diatonic sounding stuff. There are some chord changes mm-hmm. uh, again, that have this kind of Slavic color to them. Um, kind of a melancholy thing you might associate with stuff like druid, gore, Luda Musel or whatever um, but it all kind of sounds more like you would expect from a Slavic black metal band the thing is it's just at a greater degree of the harmonies are weirder um, they sound, the, the harmonies are more central European for sure uh, yeah, they don't yeah, sound definitely. like right, it's the kind of rhythms and phrasings that you get from folk based Slavic black metal um, and the same kind of more rich sense of chording than the Norse bands that you get with Slavic black metal. But the harmonies are not really Slavic sounding and not really folky or pagan. Um, yeah, it's, and it's kind of they're like... Grind, like they're, it's grinding against other parts in the music. But if you follow the main guitar line, what you've just got are like three or four really good Slavic black metal riffs. Well, there's also
0: the quality of it where it feels like none of the riffs resolve the way they're supposed to. Yes, it feels yeah, like yeah, they're yeah. missing... They're missing two notes on the back end. It's like the, the beginning of something familiar, and then it just like cuts off, almost as though it's in a weird time uh-huh. signature, but it's not. It's just composed oh. very strangely.
1: The impression I got of that there, I know what you're talking about, is that the riff is actually just, They're not... that There are certain repetitions in there that suggest that's a series of riffs, but it's actually just one melody. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right.
2: Th-
1: th- it's just a really long melody that has different parts in it that appear like riffs, and they don't resolve because they're all moving in one direction. Um, the other thing that it reminded me of that might be the link to Scandinavian black metal is Wagner, like this, you know, yeah. climbing, 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 not resolving. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But never fully resolving yeah
1: exactly or only only at very rare moments will it fully resolve and yeah and even here when the phrase finishes here it doesn't resolve it just kind of ends <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> all
0: right so real quick continuing off that thread i was talking about because i did pin down something that would be at least interesting in comparison to this mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i've just got a section off of the first track of Bethlehem's Suizid, Sardonischer uh, Untergang uh, in Zweichen Irreligioser Darbitum. Mm-hmm. It's a song titled Durchbefleckte Berung, uh-huh. Minor Nemesis. So it's about a minute and a half in, and I think it's not going to be a one-for-one comparison, but I think you'll get an idea of why I'm kind of coming to this. Mm-hmm. said a little bit different in the execution uh Bethlehem is doing stuff that are more like melodic black metal riffs as we understand it but the the overall effect is something a little bit similar I would say
1: yeah that was um pretty gnarly I think the thing that sounded particularly like uh like you know uh particularly like Black Death is a moment where uh in that more in that galloping uh, six eight riff, mm-hmm. the the lead sort of sits on a passing tone for a really long time, or like yeah, uh, yeah. ends it. The riff ends on a strange chromatic, and then the next iteration of the riff begins there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there. Bethlehem's a very interesting
0: band uh, for. Mm-hmm. For serious black metal people, I think they get passed up a little bit just because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're seen as godfathers of DSBM, but it's really, it's very strange music that would be interesting to a lot of people. Um, But let's let's get further into uh, Im Labyrinth.
1: Yeah, so um, this is, uh, here is, I suppose, the, uh, you know, the massive romantic climactic moment on the record. Here's how they do it. And again, you can think of various nowadays bands who would approach this in a very, very different way. Yeah,
3: I know.
0: get as you like to call the two-thirds of the way through stonker except this time <laughs> you've got another seven minutes to go
1: <laughs> yeah true uh it, you know it does kind of in the uh yeah it does really work like that it maybe also kind of works like that almost in the, the, the last song is so damn long it almost works like that in relation to the album as a whole yeah yeah um but um It's, yeah, so this is the two, the two-thirds Stonker, uh, if the song is really good, the two-thirds Stonker leads to another series of really good riffs, and in this case it does, but yeah, that was basically one riff idea stretched out over three minutes, um, and, uh, developed, moved all over the place, uh, the basic idea that sort of like pulsed uh pulse triplet trem uh kind of droning pulse triplet trem, long drawn out phrases is again pretty slavic black metal um (laughs) i think i'm realizing on the sample you pulled at the beginning too the more sort of black the more melodic riff, the first of the ones Mm -hmm. you play, the blasting one, also sounded more Slavic to me than I originally gave it credit for. Um, I would be very interested to hear what this band's oldest stuff sounded like now. Because um, I think this might be a case of surface appearance, like surface articulation of a set of ideas, uh, making it seem more different from other things in the uh, tradition than you might normally think um this is certainly they're using those riff style they're they're using those basic rhythmic forms and uh, gestures in an extremely different way a way that has much more to do with yeah the ugliest side of Norse and Swedish stuff in the 90s for sure Um, but it's an interesting recontextualization I don't know yeah also as far as that part isn't it just kind of like it's just pretty awe-inspiring
0: yeah, it's it's one of the few parts where you get something very conventionally like heavy metal cool, which does not happen a lot on this record. You know, they're not trying to make you feel cool. But,
1: <laughs> no, but the way they stretch it out and sort of uh the way they stretch it out and layer stuff on it and never provide exact it's never it's like the heaviness is coming almost entirely from the guitar there. There's not mm-hmm. much of a, uh, as you say, it's not a heavy metal kicks record. You can't, you can sort of shake your torso to it, but you can't really headbang. Yeah, yeah, you, you
0: kind of like mm. jerk arrhythmically and speak in tongues, you know? <laughs>
1: exactly. Speaking of which, that's the thing about this is... Uh, I mean the thing that's impressive is these dudes are literally the age of the original second-wave people if not a year or two older than many of them they're like Mm -hmm. 49 yeah right so this um and an early incarnation of this band called Draugwath started in 95 so they were um, there for it yep they were there for it indeed and have just kept going like nobody told you you were supposed to be out of touch right uh... (laughs) which is pretty cool Um, but, like, how do you make music this crazy and make it that long? Like, alive.
0: Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus
1: Podcast. All right. And we are back from some uh, bleak and disorienting, nightmarish uh, Slavic black metal with Hembane Chariots uh, sort of bad trip disorienting uh, psychedelic black metal. Uh, This record is Alpine Seance and it is the second release on the new label Throne of May, which is... uh, the label that put out the Secret Fire record we uh, reviewed this summer and both quite liked uh, mm-hmm. It's um, Secret Fire was interesting because it was a band where the atmosphere had this kind of uh, I think the term we talked about sort of as mystical quest black metal but not in the generic sense that a lot of black metal is about mystical quest or that like bullshit Atmo Black might be about like you know, basically fantasy video games, but about mm-hmm. like, you know, sort of, uh, um, sort of ah, uh, occultic ex- magical experience of the world, uh, and um, the the mood had was often kind of blissful in a way that was and misty in a way that was different from regular black metal misty, kind uh, of a, kind of ecstatic in a lot of places too. Yeah, ecstatic, very springtime oriented. It came out in spring or early summer. I think it might have been released on May first, actually. Uh, and it was, um, uh yeah, it it very different mood, but very tapped into black metal perceptions of reality. Uh, and this side of the music that was neo folkish and. Dungeon synth-ish, interacting with often very heavy riff-based black metal influenced by the chivalric black metal school in France and by stuff like Graveland and whatever. Uh, So, Hanbane Chariot actually has the guy from uh, Secret Fire playing drums. Uh, And it is a similar overall atmosphere like the mood is way closer to neo-folk than bm uh the you know in the guitar influences are somewhat similar although all the heavier more black metal stuff has dropped out and it seems like the central guitar reference points here for the trem parts are closer for the most part to stuff like uh the best of weird arty USBM stuff like yellow eyes or fell voices or whatever, which were also influences on the uh, secret fire. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, similar kind of sound. And this is far more, but far more towards the atmospheric, uh, more towards the neo folk. uh, And really, whereas the secret fire was sort of ecstatic in a regular way, this in some ways is actually creepier bringing out the more sort of sinister undertones and uncomfortable sounds you get in some of the uh, more industrial neo-folk records of the 80s, uh, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, c- lots of creepy sampling on, you know, the uh, on the on Break the Black Ice, the second Death in June record, or on some of the early current 93 stuff, just very uncomfortable moments in the music. Yeah. Uh, this band achieves a similar effect, but often just with guitar harmony. Yeah. <clears throat> I uh I, I I I I was trying
0: to describe the atmosphere in my notes and I for me it was like sort of a, a really dark fairy tale thing. Like people don't mm-hmm. remember mm-hmm. in old old stories about like pixies and stuff that they like bite and they're like <laughs> kind of they're not just mischievous, they're like a little bit evil, actually. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like a forest full of like weird mutated biting pixies would be (laughs) yeah that's that's what this brings to mind to me
1: malevolent spirits or you know uh uh de de romanticized human sacrifice things like that um yeah yeah that kind of thing Hmm. so um yeah what what did you make of it uh other than that
0: Oh, this is... I mean, it's not really my thing, but I think I get it. Um, mm-hmm. It's its drawing... This is another case where it's like, I think the execution here is basically good. It's just not really to my taste, which is totally fine. Um, this is concentrated on parts of black metal, and of course, you know, Neofolk, which is like... Neofolk is one of those things where it was, I've heard some of it from you, and... I like a lot of it just fine, but I'm basically never going to listen to it on my own time. Sure, Um, sure. uh, This is not riffy music outside of the occasional moment. And I I guess my biggest complaint is that it is... A lot of the time, it's very kind of still and diffuse. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moments on this that are kind of sitting in place or moving between similar ideas to generate atmosphere. Um, And I think that it pulls off that goal pretty admirably. I think that a unique atmosphere is absolutely generated by this stuff. Yeah. But I'm still dumb enough that I want, like, kind of hooky riffs, I guess, to suck me in. And there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of that on this. But it's also clearly not the objective. Like, Secret Fire, you know, not to make this whole thing a comparison to Secret Fire, the related band, but Secret Fire has a lot more just, like, heavy metal in it. Um, so even at its most abstract points, there's still that connection to more straightforward ideas, uh, that kind of carry you through some of the weirdest moments here. You're really just like let loose in this world of very bizarre kind of dissonant melodic ideas, very strange structuring, and you're left to kind of sink or swim on your own. Um, so, basically, it's like, I, I definitely respect this, and uh, I think there's absolutely an audience for it. Probably a lot of people who listen to our show will be into this. Uh, it's just really mm-hmm. not my side of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I think um, yeah, I think probably our consensus opinion is that we do like the Secret Fire record better, uh, but mm-hmm. this is, you know, in terms of these bands trying to define an aesthetic, as you said, well, they've clearly nailed an aesthetic, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and an atmosphere. So why, why don't we listen to your first sample? Because I bet the mood we're trying to describe, like, this record in particular has, is unusual.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go to uh, the song Miracle of Bones. It's the mm-hmm. third track on this record. And I think we both agree, we, we actually agreed pretty heavily before the show that Honestly, I think my estimation of this record might be improved if it was an EP and it kind of dropped the first uh, full track, Roebuck and the Bramble. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those odd situations where we both agree that that song just does not nail it in the way that the other two do. I mean, it's, it's fine as an atmospheric pa- piece. It definitely generates the idea of the record, but there's just not as much kind of going on that grabs the listener. But here, Miracle of Bones is where things really start to get together. Um, So we're going to listen to a section of this. And what interests me about this is clearly they're listening to a lot of kind of like arty nowadays black metal, but they're not really using that as a focal point for the music. So something you'll hear a lot is sort of post black ideas used as like connective tissue or transitioning ideas rather than leaning into doing the big post black riff or something like that um so you're gonna hear a lot of interesting riffs but then listen to the space between them where you're using these more kind of lilting post black transitions that usually invert themselves very quickly and go in a way darker direction here right at the beginning of that sample you know the tail end of a riff and then something very much like a a post-black setup happens you know you're expecting the (laughs) the big uh you know stereotypical like a gleaming post-black riff after that but it doesn't it goes into this very strange kind of dizzying tremolo riff um really like melodic but very dark still kind of chromatic um and I really like that. There's a lot of interesting kind of head fake moments on this structurally. Uh, there's a lot of teasing the listener with the idea of, okay, here's going to be this, this big, like, nice moment that you want to hear. And usually it just, it, it you know, sweeps your legs out from under you. So I think that's pretty cool. And that, that's something I, I, I like being a central structural motif to this music
1: well that kind of resonates with the album cover which is uh yeah yeah you know uh the hunter Actaeon <laughs> sees diana and her uh her artemis and her her ladies bathing and artemis who is of course among other things the goddess of virginity uh says uh uh uh-uh, buddy and turns him into a stag uh <laughs> and he gets then pursued by his own hounds to his death right so there's a uh a moment of thwarted gratification, put right on the cover. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, I mean, there's also we could imagine there are probably different variations of the Octaon Artemis myth. Um, you know, in the Golden Bow, JG Fraser talks about Artemis as or Diana probably is at some point as having been a fertility goddess, or the fact that she's a virgin, or the fact that she's a goddess of virginity is related to also being a goddess of fertility. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, the, uh, there's also maybe a, you know, to a drawing like this, there's also obviously an an erotic undertone and a kind of, uh, you know, uh, images of sacred marriage or something like that. But for Mm -hmm. sure, a lot of this record is based on these moments of, uh, sort of, um thwarted satisfaction or deferred you know uh thrown off expectation i liked what you said about like melodic riffs but still very chromatic i think Mm, what we determined about secret fire was that it's almost in secret fire is almost entirely written of kind of like uh epic riffs in black or heavy metal form that are related to each other chromatically right like Mm -hmm. with the root notes uh Roots shifting around in unusual ways, or uh, things coming in where you wouldn't expect them to come in. But all the indiv- most of the individual phrases have kind of ha- having that heroic mood. This definitely has more overt chromaticism, like within oh, the yeah. riff. No, there's a, there's a lot
0: of passages on this record that are just really really gnarly chromatic ideas, but they're always expressed interestingly. There's a lot of like, you know. There's a lot of really interesting kind of like very deliberate technical ideas across this record. Like um, lilting kind of delicate arpeggios but all the notes are like horribly clashing chromatic things. Yeah. Um, which so, I guess relates to that idea of like this like corrupted expectation or this like manipulation of beauty.
1: Oh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a um, that's a yellow eyes thing. So oh, uh, is it? Okay. yeah, so that's... And um, it's also a, I mean, yeah, that whole sort of scronkier margins of the uh, House of First Lights Out. And that's that's a whole, I mentioned that whole scene in Connected with Secret Fire. I forgot until now another relevant band, which I might have mentioned then, but definitely relevant here would be Vord. V O R D E. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, had some sort of, ex- maybe even more relevant here. Do you hear that kind of like a. <laughs> Um, dissonant post-punk riff at the end of this sample, like, you know, where he goes into the disco beat. Yeah, that little, Um, that,
0: that, like, fragmented, arpeggiated phrase,
1: yeah. Yeah, 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 so that's a very vord thing to do. They were sort of incorporating goth influence into BM, but the most sort of extreme fringes of goth to make kind of, uh, tripped out, uh not very pleasantly tripped out Black metal, like, way before that was a thing. Um... Nice. So, um... Yeah, so here... Here we got, um... The Master's Garden, which I think we both think is the best track. It's, it's the one... Well, it's the one that appeals the most to my taste. Um... I think. Yeah, I think it probably appeals most to mine, too. Um... Mm-hmm. But, uh... Um... This is, uh, yeah, so, so this is, uh, basically, I think, basically, this is the first place where the default kind of trem riffing on this record really hits for me in terms of these kind of, uh, long wandering melodies that have a lot of dissonance built into them, uh, and kind of this, uh, hazy, they're, they're harmonized and reverbed out in this kind of hazy way. Uh, and here it's used as a build. Um, so let's let's check that out. This is in the masters the beginning of the Master's garden, which is a long track. So, that was pretty cool. There is a place where he gets the tense, disquieting thing, but it's more than just unsatisfying. It's with the kind of uh, unearthly beauty, the kind of ecstatic vibe that you get on the Secret Fire stuff, and that peeps out at various places throughout this record. Uh, Here it comes together, and you get that... um, he uses this sort of the the tremoriff builds and drops into uh, a one of those more post punky parts, Eyes, vord parts that is extraordinarily dissonant, just clangs, and then I think he just drops back to the same tremoriff, but superimposes the arpeggio over it, and it's just. You know, sort of massive And, you know, there's almost a sort of Buzzing of Mystic Bees Vibe there <laughs> I,
0: Listening to You know, listening through this again I'm starting to get this A little bit more Like the mm-hmm. I think it was one of those things I was focusing a little bit too much On individual <laughs> Melodic ideas, like treating mm-hmm. it Like a riff record, which it really is You know, it's about these sort of mm-hmm impressionistic gestures of melody Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. way those parts interact with each other because there was a really cool section of that where the you know lead guitar voice there uh, sort of um, sort of ends up doing like an almost polyrhythmic thing with the rest of the music you know it sort Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. flows off time with the rest of everything but then it catches up to it at the very end of the section, you know, before the uh, the main tremolo riff kicks back in. So I think maybe I was kind of listening to this wrong the first time. This is a this is a record maybe more about broad impressions than it is about individual riffs. And when I think about it and I listen to it like that, it starts to make a little bit more sense to me.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, yeah. So, I mean, but being the person more inclined to like stuff like this, I think, um, I think the initial impression is still fair to some extent. As in, like, um, having the eeriness and tension and, uh, mystery, but mystery understood as sort of confusion built into the album is good,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think. But at what point are you, uh, sacrificing the most valuable affect of the music, which is this feeling of ethereal beauty, to sort of demonstrate the bad vibes thing, right? That's the, that's mm. the equation that this band has to solve. Um, because, you know, music can be unsettling and can be sort of uh, um, have some bite to it. Right. But clearly this this band is also sort of trying to put forth a vision of the sacred. Right. This is Mm -hmm. this is I mean, my last sample got at that more. But this is sort of passionately religious music. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, and it's after a vision of beauty. So the question is how much the. uh, The question is how to how to balance the how how to fit the skronk into that picture uh yeah and and the the sort of high how to fit these sort of keening sliding uh half step elements of the riffs into that uh um i think um yeah that's really an open question uh and i think having some sort of problem like that set to solve can give a band some internal momentum in terms of going forward uh you know the other thing. The other thing to think about would be, as you say, it's a broad gesture album. Okay, uh, that seems right. At the same time, it does feel like this band is extremely clear. On, like the atmosphere, as you say, is coming through crystal clear in some ways. Right, like we get. This is it has a unique set, unique mood. It evokes certain kinds of scenes and sensations that other bands don't. That's fully realized at a level of guitar technique. He knows how to generate that feelings with the guitar technique. I think the question that is more more the detail work, which doesn't have to mean it becomes riff oriented music.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Um, but so those are my those are my more critical points. But then let's let's hear your next one, and then I've got a a, a nice sample for the end.
0: <laughs>
1: All right. Well.
0: The entire time, the album was threatening to do this, and I was waiting with bated breath for nearly half an hour for it to happen. And then, at at almost 28 minutes in, we finally get it, the emo part that I was waiting for. They immediately destroy it and make it something like wrong sounding and confusing and horrible, but it happens, and that's enough for me. (laughs) God, it happened. Oh Jesus, I just needed, I just needed a little bit. I just needed one part that just sounded nice. <laughs> you know, just give me one part that sounds like heaven in her arms, please. Jesus Christ, just do it. And they do it for like a minute and a half. That's all I need across the record to to, to, to stay alive. <laughs> like, just, like I, like I, I've still got the bends, but I came up for air. It's all right. <laughs> But, I, I, mean, I, I mean, that's basically earned. I mean, you're, you're towards the end of the record. We can have the big kind of, you know, screamo-y black metal part. And it's a, it, it's not saying that it's, like, generic. It's not just, like, sasherin and boring. You know, it's got interesting harmonic texture. Um, and then they do kind of another head fake when they go into the arpeggiated part. It would have been really easy to do the kind of whole step pretty-sounding emo arpeggio, but instead they do this weird kind of chromatic thing instead with the half-step. So it's it's staying authentic to the Henbane Chariot sound, but it's also just... It's a little easier for simple country folk like me to understand.
1: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So you mean... And the... That heaven in the arms part, you're afraid of the like, you know, the blast. like, da, da, yeah, da, da, yeah. Da, da, That's that's da, very da, like da, white halo type stuff. That makes sense. Yeah, this band probably doesn't listen to that, I would guess, but they probably listen to like, forest, right? Yeah. And they're and they America and they're you know from the Pacific Northwest, so you can get there. You can get there from there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, no, that part is really good. And honestly, I like the payoff moment too here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's a,
0: you, you got for the black metal guy, you have to do like, this is probably the perfect time for it to happen. You need half an hour of prep before you let a band get away with that.
1: <laughs> no, no, I honestly, I sort of wish more of the record sounded like that. Oh, um, okay. It's, um, you know, like, I think the, um, there's when this band wants to do kind of uh, aggression like in that kind of like second wave like the one second wave riff on the record which happens at the end of my sample in the beginning of yours right
2: mm-hmm.
1: they're quite good at that kind of ugliness or intensity right but I think it's the more sort of Maybe this is... In- it's probably intentional, right? It's probably thinking of, like, nettles and thorns and stuff. But, you know, the needling aspect and some of the harmonies that are meant to be disquieting, I don't particularly like, right? You mm-hmm. know, it's like... Yeah. You you might want strange pleasure out of music, but I'm still looking for a certain kind of pleasure or sort of uh, power transmission rather than sort of deferral, right? Uh mm-hmm. So that that could be an idiosyncrasy of me as a listener right but uh you do know i have a strong stomach for fairly difficult stuff in styles like this so i mean it's take it or take it or leave it that's my instinctive reaction to it is that like some of the feeling this band has to deliver is that kind of not not blissed out but sort of ecstatic vibe um the sense of wonder and all that uh so here's a place um where the and in some way almost i wonder if it would help if the neo-folk stuff was more prominent uh because a lot of those effects i think the game for this band is to generate some of those vibes on guitar Mm
4: -hmm. but
1: the moments that actually sound like neo-folk are pretty damn good uh and um this is uh the last thing I want to sample is just nice, two really lovely two minutes. Uh, there's this is sort of partway into a long sample on uh, the short track "Boiling Honey" parentheses Veriditas. Uh, this is just this is very nice and cool.
4: King Panda, our land must live. This land we love must live. Her deep, dark flame must never die. Night is falling. Your lantern and mine goes down into a darkness now. And I and all the other guardians of her flame are driven from our home up out into the wolf's jaw. But the flame still flickers in the pen. You are marked down to cherish that. Cherish the flame till we can safely wake again. The flame is in your hands. We trusted you. Our sacred demon of ungovernableness. Cherish the flame. We shall rest easy. Be secret, child, be strange. Dark, true, impure, and dissonant. Cherish our flame, our dawn.
1: So, if I heard, if I heard this, uh, absent any context, I'd think, like, what mid to late 80s Death in June record is that from? (laughs) Right? Um, the, uh, a lot of those bands are very into the movie The Wicker Man and stuff that has, you know, gone on to be called, like, folk horror or just, you know, weird movies about, you know, uh magic and folklore and and landscape and whatnot uh and this is sampled from a deep cut called uh penda's fen uh which is you know back when you could make stuff like this on the bbc a uh some sort of tv drama from the early 70s where you've kind of got this uh you know um intersection of the the hippie psychedelic area era with uh um You know this uh uh dark paganism vibe uh and um it is uh, i think it's a reference to king penda who was like the last welsh king of uh, the last pagan king of wales or something or sorry of mercia rather something like that uh so one of the central english provinces um so you know he's telling some boy to keep keep the flame alive but um i just thought that was a lovely sample Uh, obviously i'm biased in favor of stuff like that uh But, um, the kind of, um, reverent and calm, uh, atmosphere there is, is great. The guitar stuff is good, the flourishes of guitar, and and the sample work with the, uh, eerie hovering female vocal is, is lovely. Uh, I, I think that part's great. I think, um... I think I also figured out how to explain the things that are sit less well with me and maybe with you about some of the guitar stuff. Is that at times it verges on the kind of the approach to dissonance that like bands like Kralis take, mm, right? Like if okay. you if you follow Yellow Eyes too far in a certain direction, it starts to sound like Kralis, where it becomes this music of sort of uh, deliberate self sabotage almost. Um, the kind of to art school, right? Uh, and the um, I, I I think so. How do you how do you preserve that uh, ear for the strange and the unsettling, uh, while maybe also channeling some of the more forthright beauty and pleasure that you get in a passage like boiling honey. de l'insurrection by Pageretz, out on Antic Records. Uh, Antic of course is a label that we cover a lot, right? This is uh, this is the uh, sort of central I think at this point, central label of the French chivalric black metal sound, uh, run by Yver uh, Moore from Véhémence, Grill and a number of other bands, including Anternos, who we reviewed this summer. Uh, this is a, uh, this project also includes Ivermar, although here he is taking on more of a supporting role. Uh, the andernose record this summer showed a strong interest in, you know, what, what you would call just sort of older, the harder side of old folk metal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or I think they described it as a pagan black metal record, uh, Pagan at Sound. The music is all sorts of different kind of folk tale related lyrics about the Loire, and history related lyrics about the Loire River Valley, but sort of uh, celebrating the land and the river itself in a Pagan way. And the music is sort of sounding like Pagan black metal, but more toward the Viking black metal or folk metal side, just with some real bite to it and some uh, integrity and authenticity to the folk influence. So this band is much further in that direction. Uh, The... Although there's a fair amount of blast beats on it, and the central vocals is all pretty aggressive screaming, this is... I mean, I was initially confused by this. It sounded to me, that at least the first or second song, I was like, is this Atmo Black? But I think you uh, identified it.
0: Yeah, no, this is a a folk metal record. I mean, primarily. I mean, it's... uh, You know, it's got... um, you know, it's got its blackened quality and the harsh vocals and some of the chord phrasings and stuff. But ultimately, mm-hmm. this is a folk metal record in the tradition of kind of the uh, melodeath and power metal derived folk metal that you heard a lot of in the 2000s. Um, and I don't think I don't think that Page would even r- resent that sort of implication Like I mean, we've, we've talked uh, about a few records on this show that are ostensibly black metal records because everything in metal is fucking black metal now apparently mm-hmm. according to a lot of people um, but in a lot of cases a lot of these very melodic black metal records uh, especially folk infused ones tend to have more in common with straight folk metal of the 90s and 2000s or various strains of power metal over the years and um, And I think that's definitely the case here. I think that the the predominant influences for music like this are going to be stuff closer to, like, I don't know, fucking, like, Elven King and stuff than most stuff in the black metal vein itself.
1: Or would, like, uh... I don't know, sort of, uh... Stuff that's not exactly Vindir, but Vindir influenced like Falkenbach or Tirfing or things like that.
0: Uh, yeah, Falkenbach, uh, Tirfing, um, probably, like, early Enciferum or early Einheriger mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of this kind of, like, folk-power-melodeath-blend stuff. And now we're just mm-hmm. kind of applying uh, kind of, like, French black metal cording procedures uh, and, you know, presenting it like black metal. And the
1: the uh, vocals are very French black metal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, So we, also about the lineup. Um, the, you know, the lineup, I think, would not feel bad about the Folk Metal Associations because, in fact, the lineup is folk metal associated. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the front man is, the vocalist, uh, is Geoffroy Delaria, who guested on the Antoinette's record playing Bagpipes and Pipes. Mm. And um, here he is uh, doing, doing the vocals, which are just pretty down the line, uh, sort of manly, harsh, rasped French black metal vocals in the, the general antique vein. Um, but he's also doing bagpipes, whistles, and keys. Uh, so think playing some central role in the songwriting. Uh, the other, um, and maybe also lyrics, uh, the main composer of the guitar stuff is uh, Sven Avelviz is his alias here. I think his real name is, in fact, Sven, but he seems to be French. And he plays in uh, a sort of Viking black band called Himinbjorg and a Breton-themed pagan black metal band called Tan Koz K-O-Z-H. Uh, and so he's doing the strings and the drumming here. So both those guys are a little more closely, are more related to the more to the, the Viking or folk side of the black of black metal um mm-hmm. and then there's uh I think the the bagpipe guy and vocalist has has played in some other things in that vein like a band called le batard du Nord that's like folk mm-hmm. metal but um and so here uh um here iver more who I uh, for this project is going by Michel de moivalcine which must be someone from the historical incidents in question uh is just doing sort of supporting guitar and vocals and stuff Mm -hmm. um uh you know and i think you know between this and the enter and and even uh even sorry i'm I'm momentarily blanking on the name of that other very very cool record we reviewed this summer the punky kind of heavy one from um yeah the asset uh Between these and even the asset, which is very different from like blast oriented black metal It all suggests that like the antic sound is really maybe not as centered on black metal as one might assume Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That it's a kind of it's it's a sort of a Medievalist ruralist aesthetic being articulated in a lot of ways that cut across kind of normal genre divisions. Um, anyway, we should talk about the theme here because this is a very concept album, it appears to be written something like the soundtrack to an imaginary movie, uh, and it's about the uh, the the revolt in the Vendée, which is this region uh, on the Loire River, close to where these guys come from. Uh, in maybe maybe it is where they come from. I'm not sure exactly, but. Uh, in uh you know on the i think it's in Brittany too uh and um in this sort of western coastal region of France it appears to be yeah a region that is in provinces of Anjou Poitou and Brittany um mm-hmm. but uh but it is it's it's it was a place where after the French revolution took hold Uh, people in the countryside were uh, not as excited about uh, enlightenment, freedom, equality, and, uh, you know, reason as uh, the middle class people in the capital were. Uh, And it was a revolt by, at the same time, the peasants, the nobility, and the clergy. All three, you know, more traditional orders of society against the urban middle class allied with some of the urban working class um and what which i did a little bit of i've i did a little bit of uh wikipedia digging on this and um uh, it appears that it was basically set off by uh set off particularly by french revolutionary kind of uh anti-clericism that is the revolution sent people around to the countryside to essentially like proselytize for the cult of reason right which is like I I mean, during the time of the terror, that literally, Robespierre attempted to make that a thing, like a literal thing, like a literal cult of reason to replace Christianity. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they sent people around to the countryside and said, hey, you know, uh, depose your parish priests and, you know, whatnot. And uh, a bunch of the peasants said, uh, why? And a bunch of the nobles who had uh, previously uh, fought to defend the monarchy said, uh, hell no. And there was a, a revolt. Um, this, so this started. It started in 1793, and it was over fairly quickly because it was like a lot of rebellions, kind of disorganized. Um, uh, over by 17 uh, 1796. Uh, but yeah, um, and the guy on the cover of this record is a sort of uh, a you know a peasant soldier or rural villager soldier, armed with a bill hook. Like, a lot of the rebels... Something people forget is even in the late 18th century, early 19th century, a lot of fighting was still done with pikes. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you were a peasant, uh, you would pick up your scythe and make make a billhook. And they wore this uh, sacred heart patch, which uh, which he's got on his chest. Um, So it's this... uh, So, you know, it's related to sort of... The countryside to Catholicism as this pre-modern monarchist religion, little more black metal and we' which we've talked about on the show, and also to uh, in certain ways, to the sort of rural folk ways uh, that are were aligned with it. So a funny thing I've read is that in some 19th century anthropology, uh, people going or folk folklor, early folklorism, people going around and interviewing peasants learned that French peasants, in the middle 19th century, sort of blamed the disappearance of the fairies on the revolution.
0: Oh, yeah, I heard something like that. It was, uh, yeah. The, would, would, <laughs> there was some very interesting stuff about the French peasantry in general, kind of like mm-hmm. a, as things move toward the modern era. Lots of, uh, lots of kind of holdouts in a yeah. way in
1: the countryside. The, the peasantry are often, yes, high, high inertia. Right. Uh loyal to loyal to traditions that the that city people see as oppressing oppressing the peasantry, and city people are often urban revolutionaries are often confused as to why the peasantry refused to join the revolution. Right. So um so in this case, uh this is a dramatic example of that, and uh you know, sort of like the middle the last gasp of the Middle Ages and the uh, uh late nineteenth mm-hmm. century. And um it, so it's a, it's a fitting theme, and it gives the whole album this kind of, uh, it's a tale of doomed revolt. We know how it ends before it begins, and so the mood throughout this is kind of mournful. It's not like perky folk metal. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. It, yeah it, this in is, some way, This isn't fucking Corpaclani or anything, don't yeah I hope, I hope nobody uh, got that idea from what we were saying up front.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of music about loss, and it's very sentimental in a way that is very folk metal, in a way that's difficult for me personally to stomach. But because I have great respect for you know the the label and the cast of characters, and I love the theme, it's like what the hell? Let's see what we can make of this. So you're going to have to be my guide to the more folk metal aspects of this. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: <coughs> growing up as a, uh, a high schooler and. uh early college student in the uh, mid to late 2000s gave me uh, a lot of exposure to uh, (laughs) stuff that was similar to this but usually much worse Um, because you know a lot of guys especially younger guys listening to this show kind of missed that entire wave how dominant this style was for a few years maybe between like 06 or 07 and 09 there was this big wave of folk metal that really caught on especially with non-metal heads and
1: not a lot of the stars. dorks a lot yeah a, a lot of the dorks who currently listen to atmo black like like sort of like like atmospheric <laughs> black metal channel level atmo black would have been listening to like fin back in the day yeah
0: yeah it's like
1: <laughs> uh the same kids who you know got into power
0: metal through dragon force were really into uh Corpiclani and uh Fintrell and Tear although Tear were always a, a cut above the rest of them. Um so real quick we'll uh, we'll go to a good instance of something that is straight out of the playbook of like mid to late 2000s folk metal. So we'll go to a uh, Le Cantique des Moulins. You yeah. know, I I'm, I'm working on a uh, sounding more look Le- opp- oppressively French.
1: Uh Yeah, Le Cantique des Moulins. I don't know. Moulin mm-hmm. Uh, moulin you know like isn't that isn't the movie isn't the movie moulin rouge i've not (laughs) seen it but i've heard the name (laughs)
0: uh well as soon as people say the title of the movie i never speak to them again so i haven't been exposed very often um uh, so this is pretty cool because you're this actually a really dynamic section there's a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of very nicely parceled out sequences um because you got to remember that folk metal, the root for that is not extreme metal. It's like heavy metal and rock music. And structurally, um, this Pedretz record is a lot more akin to rock and heavy metal than it is extreme metal structurally. Uh, so you're going to have this nice set of bridging kind of verse sections all cleanly leading into each other with, you know, really fun melodies. Um, but what's interesting is this sort of hangover influence of uh, metalcore on popular folk metal from the 2000s. A lot of people kind of reading from the same structural playbook. So a lot of the songs on this record function kind of like metalcore songs from that era where they're sort of breakdown delivery devices but what a Mm -hmm. breakdown is is different for this than it is in hardcore metalcore. So Mm -hmm. listen to this one and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. In the manner of a lot of power metal from that era, um, before you know, there was this sort of uh, subtle reemergence of like USPM styles. Um, the thing people forget about power metal at the time is that the guitars are really not the leading instrument. Um, Uh, or at least the rhythm guitars aren't. It's not really riff-based music a lot of the time. You know, the guitars are doing just kind of supporting chords, sometimes, you know, like tremolo-picked, palm-muted runs, that sort of thing. It's mostly all about lead guitar and synth voices leading it, and that's definitely the case across this record, I think. Um, The most prominent melodic lines are always going to be from the synths or folk instruments or maybe a big kind of arcing lead guitar passage like you heard at the end there. Um, but what you've got up front on that sample is actually a pretty cool sequence, because you've got this aggressive, kind of blasting black metal riff, one of the few, like, distinctly black metal riffs on the record, into this kind of, almost like Kveller talk, uh, stomp part, and then into this really folky passage. So the sequencing of ideas on this record is super clean. It's very professional. I mean, you can definitely, this is like Wacken stage shit, um... And I appreciate it for that. It's it's very just honest about what it is. Um, There's really... I've seen kind of mixed takes on this record. I think a lot of people were expecting something more distinctly quote-unquote black metal. But I think this is a very straightforward record in its presentation. They're not trying to trick anyone, (laughs) you know, into Mm -hmm. thinking this is anything other than what it is. This is a big you know, second stage at Vakken ready record. And, uh, I think it executes pretty admirably on that promise.
1: That makes sense to me, yeah. It certainly does not come across as attempting, yeah, it, it's not attempting to be black metal. Um, I think the, probably the weakest moments on the record, maybe like on the first song, I, often, you know, probably some of the negative takes are just related to very early impressions, right? So, mm-hmm. uh... Like, and because in this age where we just, like, click on stuff, right? Which isn't necessarily the right way to do it, right? You just hear the first track, okay, right? But there are some moments where, say, you'll get blast beats with that kind of lead guitar, and the mm-hmm. lead guitar is left to do the heavy lifting, and it's yeah. doing kind of these slow trem riffs that hang, maybe, maybe almost single notes or just really verbed out trem riffs that kind of hang on the root notes, and... Uh, and just trace out the basics of a kind of epic chord progression, right? Those moments are the weakest because they actually sound like Atmo Black, right? Um,
0: <laughs> which is which is interesting because it's like, which it does sound like what we call Atmo Black now, but what it also sounds like is like you know, fucking Sonata Arctica or something. It's like a lot of Atmo right, Black right. secretly just sounds like 2000s power metal. Just like no, roughed that. up a little bit. <laughs>
1: that makes sense that makes a lot of sense um so yeah so those moments are maybe not my favorite on this album but uh and maybe have turned some people off to it but they're not yeah on the whole this is authentic heartfelt music if anything mm-hmm. right um uh and the fact that they're going for a different palette that's not oriented just towards aggressive black metal might you know both have to have something to do with like okay hey let's write a really big you know, hey, let's go play Vakken That's an we as we've said on this show many times. That's an admirable objective. Um, yeah, uh, but also also something to do with the con- the concept album ambition. As in, there really is a narrative arc to the music. There are some samples, but you'd get it even without the samples. I think mm-hmm. um, the song titles are very important. They sort of uh, denote certain historical moments or encounters, right? Uh, um. And uh the it's a very long record, right? It's over an hour. And Yeah.
2: Yeah. It I, is uh, I, I
1: kinda it's long. <laughs> it it's it's long, right? And I kinda wonder if the idea is to make music that explicitly is not as relentlessly riff driven because it's supposed to have a I don't know, it it's supposed to accompany imaginary images. I think you're completely Um, right about that. You know, the idea of this being the an
0: imaginary soundtrack or (laughs) the imaginary accompaniment of something, because there are places where this, you know, this music is like a little bit too thin to stand on its own. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. if you think about it in the context of like, all right, so this is kind of a conceptual work. Your attention is supposed to kind of come in and out. It's supposed to Mm -hmm. provide the background to maybe reading about this stuff or, yeah yeah, you know, yeah then it start. it makes a lot more sense oh you know?
1: and you know it also makes sense with the sense of time on the record right it's not supposed mm-hmm. to have the immediacy of uh you know pov you are you know pick your character you are an aristocratic cavalry commander with an axe to grind you are a angry village priest, you are a peasant with a bill hook, and you are in the battle, right? That would be the black metal approach, right? To put you put you in the middle of things or to deliver a kind of, uh, to put you in the middle of the action or maybe to referring this, deliver some kind of diatribe against the modern world, right? Mm-hmm. But this is much more like reflecting on the past, right? It's. It has that whole sense of this. We know this has already happened. We know how it's going to happen, and we're telling you a story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that kind of distance and reflection uh, is um, maybe makes more sense in a context like this. There's some, uh, you know, these things are being tragic events are unfolding, but like in the haze of memory, right? And they're kind of being commemorated. Uh, this record is sort of, I think, in. Whereas a lot of bands, when I criticize sentimental stuff on this show, a lot of bands are. Uh, it's because a lot of bands are not in control of that. Right? Yeah. They're trying to do something very epic sounding or very pagan sounding or whatever, and it just ends up sounding sentimental. This band is trying to make a sentimental record, right? This is right. They're they're French. This is the kind of you know sentiment, right? Uh, so, they're it, it's it's pretty in control of that feeling, and I like the idea of it as a soundtrack to reading about it. Um, yeah. So, as far as the history, you know, and I think supposed to be a jumping off point to googling things that are that are there. So, uh, we've got as far as like song titles queuing things happening, right? We've got, like, a la Loire, exclamation mark, which is, I think, one of my favorite tracks on the record, uh, right? is you know, charge to the river, right? Or crossing the river, right? We've got Venger, right? Revenge. And now we've got uh, Colonne Infernal. That means infernal columns. Uh, you can Google that or look it up in the Vendée article. Uh, but these were basically the uh, columns of the French Revolutionary Army sent to put down the uh, revolt. In the modern day, and um, the approach they took was sort of a uh, kind of modern total war scorched earth approach, where they basically, you know, scorched earth counterinsurgency, where it's basically just round everyone up and kill them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, this is soundtracking the arrival of the infernal columns, um, and uh, This uh, also has what I think is, um, in terms of black metal criteria of riff, the best riff on the record.
0: Oh, my my dad just got a new Pentium Four. Do you wanna to come to my place after school and play medieval Total War One with me?
1: <laughs> dude, absolutely. I actually play I played that game. Oh um, yeah,
0: dude. I know Novgorod's a bad starting location, but we're gonna make it work, god damn it.
1: <laughs> uh, I didn't have the mic maybe. I didn't have the micro to be good. Didn't have the micro or the attention span to be good at that game. I would just play quick battles over and over again and get like wrecked by the PC each time.
0: Yeah. Oh man, you gotta you gotta go back earlier, play fucking Shogun Total War. You think medieval is unforgiving? Dear
1: God. I also <laughs> guess I also played Shogun and I got un- my ass kicked at Shogun.
0: playable. Couldn't get past like second battle in that game when I was a kid. But anyway, I, I, I
1: was pretty good. I was pretty good at Lords of the Realm though. If you want to take oh, it to, okay. uh, well, that's real yeah, take old it school. to. Two D, yes. Yeah, I um, <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, back to, back to France, um, and the late eighteenth century. Um, da 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 you can tell how good that riff is because that's the second time I've heard it, and I could remember it at the end of the section, even though they didn't repeat it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the... Uh, that is... You can hear there, right, that, okay, these guys all uh, listen to folk music, right? You can hear that 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 riff might be based on an actual folk song, right? It has this singable thing that you get yeah. in some of the best anternose riffs where like the clean vocals will come in alongside it and it just sounds completely natural, even though they're doubling the riff. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, and um, great phrasing in it, like just four, phases, four parts of the riff drawn out. Um, there, the fact that it's got that kind of like hanging single string reverb Works really well because, uh, um, I don't know, the structure carries it, and each note is worth just, uh, uh, you, you don't need any harmony there, and you don't need any like force, you don't need any like, uh, you don't need trem filling in the space, um, uh, so yeah, uh, and you don't need distortion either, that's how good it is, um, and you can hear there also, you know, how they take that melody and give it a more, it has that kind of. Somewhat Celtic vibe that a lot of stuff from from Brittany has, uh, but you can hear how they make it sound a little more sinister or a little infernal by uh, yeah. sort of emphasizing those passing tones and things like that. Um, and the song develops in a cool way. They go into that sort of uh, black metal-y part at the, the punky black metal part at the end, uh, sort of ripping power chords. It escalates to pretty intense blasting. That's actually like. Uh, you know kind of um unhinged blasting you get some spoken word and then it's like whoa where is this going right but it's very sort of majestic historical spoken word it might be i think it's a a histor. i think it might just be a sample of a historian or somebody reading from a history book um and then you know it gets all celtic and epic and then finally at the end of the song they bring the first riff back um and it's like and at that point, they passed it through so much development that the first riff returning isn't, like, the default. It's kind of like a, a surprise and an achievement. So I think this music is often at its best when they're uh, taking the imaginary soundtrack thing really seriously and making songs with interesting event arcs in them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I we always repeat on this show that there there's a reason that these sort of songwriting conventions exist because they've proven Mm -hmm. themselves for hundreds of years to be effective Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that the way PageRats really embraces that is you know, that's one of the pros of this record Um, you know, you've got this this meta-narrative across the entire record but then you have these smaller kind of bite-sized chapters within that story and uh, they are very effective in and of themselves um it's uh it's not narrative in the way that a uh, a black metal song uh is necessarily narrative uh, these are sort of like fragments or like still images of events and then it's an imaginary soundtrack wrapped around that rather than an entire journey from beginning to end, this really is like I go back to the idea of you know this being a, a soundtrack to reading about the history of this. I can mm-hmm. imagine each one of these being the equivalent of a certain chapter in you know a, a historical book about the subject. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, real quick, uh, another sample for me, uh, Parle chemin's crew. Uh, so this is.
1: Uh, Carla oh. chemin Crew, okay, um, yeah. like yeah. Uh, like the like like the like the uh, cult French black metal band Dain, Uh split oh, okay. with Senor Voland
0: or the yeah. uh, cult black metal band uh, Motley Crew, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> something that happened at the end of my first sample is something I'm going to expand upon here. Uh, so one thing that's kind of understated, but I think is really crucial. With this record is an influence from. Uh, later kind of Peaceville Doom Death stuff, Uh, because there's a lot of parts of this record that, to me, sound like later Paradise Lost or Tiamat or something like that, but kind of stripped Hmm. of the goth rock. Um, Hmm. Maybe a little bit like uh, Hanging Gardens, who we covered a few months back, or even kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or Mm -hmm. even more kind of nowadays Doom Death stuff, like November's Doom, Swallow the Sun. But again, kind of minus the goth overtones. So you just have this sort of, like, galvanized, stripped-down, depressive rock metal stuff, but you can still Mm -hmm. headbang and, like, wear a leather jacket to it.
1: Um, You know, I swear, I think it was this record. I was listening to something for this week, and I was in my head comparing it to Tiamat, and I thought, no, that's just because you were listening to Tiamat this summer. So... I, maybe no, I wasn't I crazy to hear it here. Um, mm-hmm. So let's
0: listen to this section and I mean this is one of the most obvious points, but I think that's like a crucial undercurrent to a lot of this album. Uh, by the comparison like the idea of you know a lot of that doom death that progressed more towards kind of a rock metal hybrid Mm -hmm. but you kind of strip the goth out of it that latent kind of British goth influence and you're left with this this core of like just kind of like sad headbanging rock meets metal stuff Uh, kind of kind of a little bit akin to the uh, uh, shit uh, the Tau Cross record
1: earlier this year oh. um yeah i hear it um I, I mean just the you know the big sad lead and at first when we said stripped of the goth i was a little confused but i think i get what you mean so it's like it's still got the sad aspect of it it just doesn't have the specifically goth rock sisters of mercy fields of yeah. anaphylum over time. yeah that's what I right mean. okay that yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, or like parts of Catatonia do that, or like later Catatonia or whatever. Um, yeah, later yeah. Catatonia would be a really good reference point for a lot of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, that makes sense to me, and I think it. I think it works at that 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 first sort of burst of double bass and, the and you know, it's got good the the pipes sound good over that too. I I, I cannot endorse the latter part of that sample um or at least the, <laughs> no the middle part of the sample do you know which one I'm talking about oh with the uh, the tinkling keys and stuff yeah sort of the uh, um the continue it and it, you just get the sort of power chords in the rhythm and the guitar the lead starts going like da 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 uh, yeah it sounds it just to me it sounds lost right there that's that reminds me of the stuff I don't like about Atmo black um oh, I gotcha it it's sort of um or what were we talking about this we were talking about this recently on another thing where there was a solo just the sound like huh the the, the melodic line has gotten lost somewhere through here oh yeah we like we're the lead about, is, we were talking about a monotonic negative Yes, yeah. The lead has just, um... The lead is kind of filling space there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um... However, when you bring the pipes back in at the end, it sounds great. That's something I want to say about the record as a whole, is that whenever Joffre just cuts loose on the bagpipe, it's like, uh... The level of intensity... Uh, just, like, goes through the roof relative to what it was before. So from, mm-hmm. say, may- maybe from background music to foreground music. And I'm saying that even, that's a part where it's particularly obvious because it's going from a part, part of sort of, like, uh, not very strong riffing, let's say, or weak riffing, to, like, the bagpipe. It's a dramatic difference. But even in places where, like, they're, there's, like, perfectly solid kind of... um. Understated, folky riffing. When when the bagpipes come out, it's just just an explosion. So here's uh, on the last track uh, here here's a good example of that. It's like when when the bagpipes in. There's such a difference in harmonic density, with those single string lead guitar lines, and sort of clarity of the shape of the melodies uh, in this kind of folky way, that it's like everything is just like switched from black and white to color, or like a sort of fuzzy picture, or has come into focus, or a distant one has zoomed in. Um, so, uh, here, there's definitely some bagpipes coming out here, and uh, a, an example of why we all listened sometimes to folk metal in the first place. This is from uh, La Fin du Rêve, The End of the Dream, so this is, you know, mournful track from the back end of the album i heard it as soon as you said that yeah listening to it a second time through it's like oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's totally hanging gardens right there it is and it, it's a great it's it's very sentimental on rock but it is very good mm-hmm. you know it's like i mean that's a just big it's just a big epic feels riff um <laughs> and um the bagpipes are, uh, you know, um, just, I mean, th- there's an instance also, right? It's kind of a poppy gesture, but because the arrangement is just so dense there, um, and the big gesture is just gone for, they nail it. Uh, the female the you you get every it's sort of this is the one moment they sort of like distill every aspect of that style. It's like, okay, we got bagpipe, we got wailing bagpipes, we got flutes layering down over it, um, and we've got sort of uh, epic female vocals, which sound awesome. Um, the part with that turn in her voice, the da 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 is just, like, killer. Like, that is, um, it's beautiful, and it's also just a hook. Uh, so, you know, this is the big, sad end of the movie mo- moment. I think they do it really well. Uh, um... And uh, you know, it's also got a power chord stomp hidden in the middle of it. pale hey, oh! this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. All
0: right, we are back with our final record of the night with a uh, Duisterman Leets Influesteringen van de Duivel on Christian Metal Underground Records, and uh, yeah, like I said at the beginning of the show. We covered the last Dwistermanlicht record, um, which was this just big, very traditional slab of kind of Transylvanian hunger and Under a Funeral Moon worship, Uh, and uh, uh, one of the main guys behind this project uh, came back to us to ask if we'd cover the new record, and uh, I liked that one a lot last year, actually. Um, You know, part of it was nostalgia, uh, just because, you know, when we grew up, the dark throne clone was like the, that was like the foundational essence of underground black metal in a lot of ways like we i mean how many cds did you wind up with in your collection that were kind of dark throne clone stuff back in the day
1: <laughs> yeah for sure yeah and that was, he, uh, even even a lot of good stuff was dark throne clone
0: yeah 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 no and it's right. yeah i mean that I mean, saying that sounds very negative, but a lot of it was very good music. Um, But over the past 10 years, that's basically gone the way of the Dodo. You don't really hear that stuff anymore. So getting to hear a a blast from kind of like my metal adolescence was kind of neat. But then the question was, you know, obviously that has its limitations. I personally think this new one um, is much more well-rounded uh, much more varied, and ultimately uh, a substantially better record from the one last year. Obviously, this is beginning from a very similar place of uh, traditional Dark Throne worship, but then a lot of other ideas are getting folded in uh, from around the second wave. You know, like there's some there's some Juter in parts. Uh, there's some like really really stripped down kind of mayhem or take melodic riffing. Uh, that gets pieced together in this. There's a more dynamic drum performance. Uh, So overall, I mean, it's staying true to what the project is inherently about, but I think that this has a much broader applicability than the last record did, which is this hyper-niche product for people who want another Transylvanian Hunger. Uh, This one this one, it's a lot easier to identify what your favorite song is, I guess, than the last one. <laughs> um, so, uh, what, 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 would, what are your initial impressions? Uh,
1: well, you know, um, I think... I, I would say, I guess, probably the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Okay. Um, I think uh, the fleshed-out... Um, the stuff that expands away from dark Throne or that fleshes out the most fleshes out dark throney gestures into things that, uh, are a little bit more lush or melodic, I think are the, are the strong points. Um, there's a lot of, a, a lot of, a much more punky side of dark Throne comes out on this record. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I think some of those riffs are very well executed. Some of them are, like, uh, conspicuously poorly executed, which I'll have on as a sample. Um, the... It's, um... So I think... Yeah, I, I think both. It's moved away from that middle territory of sort of very Transylvanian hunger, parts of Funeral Moon kind of thing it was very focused on in the first part. Um, mm-hmm. I think, um... You know, uh, solid guitar tone. I don't know. Um, <laughs> n- remarkable cover, right? This is this is an unblack metal band, and uh, the album title is "Influstringen de Duivel," so it's like "Whisperings of the Devil." Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cover is just a classic style black metal picture of the devil looking maybe a little sullen. You know, he's he's not looking the most stoked he's ever looked. He's a little bummed. Right.
2: Right?
1: Yeah, he's a, he might be a little bummed about the eternal damnation part here. Um, <laughs> but the um, uh, but um, uh, but all in all, it's a very down the line sort of uh, you know, satanic overlord, uh, hell thrown minions picture, uh, which is a a, a pretty odd pretty odd choice um i got the sense that um i suppose the idea has something might have something to do with the the seductive whisperings of the devil you know which you know i suppose in his view plague us all and especially black metal people uh but i gotta say between the title and the cover it does somewhat come off as an attempt to disguise itself as a black metal record
0: yeah, I I get where you're coming from on that. Um, although I I would say I don't think this guy, I mean because he you know we spoke a little bit via email, it, it doesn't really seem like that's his idea. I think he's just I I think he just happens to be a Christian who also really fucking likes black metal and he thinks all the. Aesthetics are cool and stuff, so I I don't think it's really like a a, a cryptic attempt to proselytize. Um, I think maybe he just thinks this is neat. Um, but then mm. the, the, there's also there's also <laughs>
1: yeah, I like that. I've min, just minister. I just I really think these pictures of say they're just really <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, well, my. <clears throat> God, so. Well what's interesting is
0: uh, in this case, uh, the main guy behind this project um, was cool enough to provide the lyrics uh, mm-hmm. to the music. Uh, so I obviously I had to run them through a translator because I don't speak Dutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it revealed was kind of interesting. Um, so I ended up doing a little bit of background research just on Dutch Christianity and its history. Mm-hmm. You know, just light stuff. But uh, I found that uh, apparently the history of Dutch Protestantism in particular is that the Dutch, more than most nations in Europe, were heavily, heavily influenced by Calvinism in particular, mm-hmm. and like the just the very like pure original strain of it. Um, and then uh, keeping that in mind while reading the lyrics, which are. The lyrics for each individual song on this are interesting. Obviously, I'm dealing with relatively crude translations, but they tend to be various stories of, you know, not just, you know, a war between God and Satan, but typically it focuses more on the corruption of man, uh, as well as this intensely old-school Calvinist idea that the very idea of looking to men for goodness itself is almost sacrilegious and idiotic. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that the the seed of man itself is negative. You know, it's profoundly, like, traditionally Protestant. And the way it's expressed is uh, kind of interesting. Obviously, it's ideologically very different from what I'm into being a Catholic, but it was interesting the way he managed to reframe the sort of very traditional protestant ideas in a way that kind of aesthetically jived with black metal just focusing on the inherent corruption of man the the inherent evil within him and his ability to mislead his fellow man to uh, trick them into paths of evil especially something that's emphasized in the lyrics is when it's masquerading as good you know, there's a there's a lot of concepts of uh, you know uh, false prophets and like false utopias promised uh, by man
1: uh, I which think I a lot was of interesting I, I Google translated them too um, and I think uh, a lot of them you know they focus on uh, often on historical vignettes that he's taking to treating us sort or of moral parables or whatever but there are several of them that are about witch hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, and hunting down witches or uh, condemning heretics and whatnot um, and there seems to be kind of a uh, he really really doesn't like pagans but he also doesn't like the uh, he's very critical of sort of people doing unchristian things in the name of persecuting the heathen yeah um, it, was, it was very interesting
0: or, there's there you know the, those lines about like you know these men covered with heathen blood is is this true in the eyes of god is a very unusual perspective
1: yeah the first one is mostly sort of i guess celebrating the victory of christian kings in denmark you know at the end of the celebrating cutting down the sacred oak in northern germany but uh Mm -hmm. the 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 lyric is um oh wait sorry that that might be one of the uh which what's, what's the title of this one it's um first one is uh no the first one is Vervirid and and uh zvard blockard um the the sacred oak one is towards the end of the record uh uh but um there's sort of a couple i guess one scene is medieval witch hunt that comes up in, an, in several songs another scene is the destruction of uh you know the destruction of uh norse paganism oh no sorry the sacred oak thing is a lyric here yes uh had heathens league vershird, de donarreich verlaten, something leaving the leaving the uh, leaving Thor's oak or whatever. But um, so that's the theme of this song. But uh, it um, it turns into this self-critical moment towards the end. Like there's kind of a um, as the heathen burns, the storm will blow their ashes. This is how widows find their loved ones, weathered and blackened. Order restored to the land with a strong hand and sword. Is this the will of God? Human throne possessed by human power?
0: Yeah, um. it's uh, so it's like it's it's a little bit more nuanced, I think, than a lot of people might expect from this sort of thing. You know, it's got the uh, it's got the you know obvious just like cool violent stuff, but it is it tends to be a little bit more introspective and in, in questioning of the the entire purpose of it. Um, so, uh, but. You know, beyond all the the meta considerations the music um so uh plat in uh dutch is such a weird language man i can't get over
1: it fair, like like fair Lauren is i think kind of like forlorn uh
0: well they've got the translations uh on metal archives uh it means uh crude and blunt apparently mm. uh hmm and uh, multiple translators have translated it multiple ways like flat walls, flat floors or something, so there maybe there's some oh, sort yeah, of yeah. slang thing going on here um, so this is a good example of one of the kind of gnarly, like straightforward Dark Throne worship songs but there's a lot more unique kind of physical playing going on compared to the last record there's uh, an emphasis on really emulating like uh, Fenris's particular drumming idiosyncrasies, the really physical way that Nocturno Culto would play guitar. And uh, there's a there's a neat head fake at the beginning that I really appreciate. sort of head fake at the beginning you know you got that that stompy riff you got the noise solo you think it's prepping for basically another unholy black metal kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but then it just rips into that big kind of uh like de mysteries dom satanas melodic riff Mm -hmm. Uh, it's interesting Uh, a lot of the songs on this record are based on that interplay between uh, you know, these these kind of stompy, like, post-Celtic frost riffs intersecting in interesting ways with these more melodic kind of... Uh, it. I, I'd, I'd really say this record is more Panzerfaust than Transylvanian Hunger, mm-hmm. at least to my ear. Um, oh, which I know is stated in their promo material is like, a, a paramount record for them. Um, I just think that the way he executes these transitions between those ideas is really smooth and elegant in the way of Dark Throne. I think that what elevates this above other kind of Dark Throne-styled bands really is just the attention to detail and this very warm, organic quality it tends to have.
1: Uh, Yeah, the, um... He pulls that off pretty well, the, um... They are, um, the part that stood out to me most on that was actually the sort of thrashy punk riff after that. So there you go about the smooth transition. The, um, uh, the sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it, but in, interval wise, it's really simple. It's, you know, yeah. um, but, uh, it has good subdivisions in the picking, so, um, it's So uh, And it's working on the downbeat Instead of as a, as a, as a punk beat So it's, it's quite heavy uh, And the um, uh, I don't know There's a good attention to rhythm in some of the punky parts On this record that way elevates them Above um, Well above the many many Other bands who produce riffs that sound Almost exactly like that
0: Right. Uh, I think part of the quality is that this guy is really internalized Nocturno Cultos, kind of like really heavy on the slides, really heavy on that sort of subtle swing feeling, and always playing like a little bit behind the drums. You know, always Yeah, having it that, has that for sure. It has that roller coaster going over the hill effect every time he slides down into a new riff. You know, it's like it's, it's those small touches that make a band of this style better than
1: its contemporaries. I, I think we remarked on that with the last one too. That there was very nice sliding, gliding, rhythmic stuff happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the things this guy's really strong at. He's got a very intuitive physical feel for how to play these kinds of riffs, um, and it really and it comes out I think even better here because there's more dynamic riffing. There's more different kinds of riffs and you know different kind of physical gestures he can apply to these different sounds now.
1: Mhm. Well, let's um so in terms of that sort of more more in terms of the good rhythm in punk riffs and also uh weaker versus stronger punk riffs. Uh let's um let's listen to Kateryacht, number 2. Um so uh so there are a couple couple straight there are a couple basic punky black metal riffs at the beginning. Um, and then we get into a, uh, which are not good, and then we get into a stronger midsection, and you'll hear that, and then it'll go back into one of the original riffs, the one of the main riffs at the start of the song. Um, but uh, the midsection is pretty cool, so let's listen to that. The, the really prominent thing there, the, the most dramatic part there is, right, we, we come in in this sort of breakdowny part that's working kind of like the stompy, noisy solo at the beginning of yours, uh, uh-huh. um, where it's a mid-tempo part, but it's not really locked into a beat. It's more sort of working as a tension builder or something. Uh, he's using, like, the kind of Night of the Graveless Souls rhythm a lot there uh-huh. and in other parts. Um, but you can hear, the, you know, he does have a skilled hand in some of the songwriting, um, especially when you can hear he's the riff that enters after it is actually prepared for in the back end of that Graveless Souls kind of build riff um, But yeah, then this sort of this fast whiplash riff Well that's directly off something on Under a Funeral Moon, isn't it? Um, it is really close to it, yes. Um, yeah. maybe not exactly the same riff, but it is, uh, sort of frantic, simple, uh, it's closer to the tone of those speed metally riffs. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, that part is really good. Um, and it has the, uh, you know, he, he gets the drone quality on those things really well. Uh meow yeah wilkins agrees yeah um and you can hear that that gliding or s- thing there right that riff kind of dives in from the riff before it um the also the the clattering blasts behind it which are not just holding it in place but driving it ahead are really good mm-hmm. so yeah all, all that's very good very dark they and then it throws out, right? You know, throws you one section to the other, as a good punk riff does. It throws into the next kind of section, which is just punk beat riff, right? Uh punk riff, very simple. But it, it's being ja- it's it's with a with a D beat and it's being jammed on the D beat. The rhythm is being played with. So, you know, it's like right he's chopping it up and he's not always chopping it up in exactly the places you would in a standard DB riff um and he's he's marking every part of the rhythm uh in a way that a lot of DB bands are way too lazy to and especially black metal bands when they imitate them um so that's cool it's percussive it's uh it's got detail and momentum even though the note choices on it are incredibly standard um and then it goes back into a very similar riff that's actually one of the main riffs of the song, which is terrible. Um, it drains, it sort of drains it of all momentum, and you get just a bog standard dark Throne punk riff. Yeah, um, it's
0: just zero one four. Yeah, it's oh, yeah,
1: it's it's real, it's quite quite not good. Um, and it's kind of like the latter day crop of and crust bands. And what that part. And there are a couple riffs like that at the beginning of the song, and riffs like that crop up throughout the record. Uh, Volk's is the shortest one, so it's the most punky, but it basically, that's a particularly egregious offender. Um, And that makes me think, like, um, one of the... Okay, Panzerfaust is maybe one of the reference points. The other has got to be uh, um, Late Dark Throne like cult is alive foad dark thrones and black flags type stuff Mm -hmm. um where there's the same kind of mixture of really good punk riffing and really bargain bin punk riffing Mm -hmm. um and uh the same tendency to mix those up with occasional riffs that sound like the early trilogy um you know, like Dark Throne will throw in a Transylvanian hunger riff every once in a while on those albums. Uh, Just just to keep
0: people like us listening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a really confusing track called The Winds They Called the Dungeon Shaker, which is half just like terrible Fenris goofing, and then like half a really kind of beautiful Nocturno-Culto riff, and it's just like, okay, that's the song.
2: Um, (laughs)
1: right? Um, uh... And so this guy is sort of doing that, but maybe with a little more control. In that he's like giving us more of the uh, the old school Dark Throne riffs. Um, sometimes the punk riffing here is very good in the way that when Dark Throne writes punk riffs, they're often good. Sometimes they are uh, very subpar relative to that. Um, I think in Volksverlockerage the riff is basically plagiarized from one of those one of those three records. Okay, um, so. Yeah. You would
0: probably know better than me. I have not listened to... I don't even know if I've listened to a Dark Throne song past The Cult Is Alive. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> that I, I, that I, album I killed him for you, didn't it?
0: I, I make a... It's rare that I make a conscious effort to not check things out. Dark Throne <laughs> is one of those things where The Cult Is Alive offends me on such a deep and personal level. I... No, I've never listened to anything past it, I don't think.
1: <laughs> That's, um, yeah, it's, um, I, and I remember back in the day, I would defend those later albums to you, and then, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, yeah, man, they're kind of bad. Um, <laughs> I I do think individual songs on them are quite good, but it is just, they really are kind of just collections of things they jam out. Um, yeah, so you get yeah, it's... a lot of occasional gems and a lot of misses but point being um, point being basically uh, at times this sounds like a better and more um, committed version of later Dark Throne Um, at times it has the same weaknesses
0: I gotcha okay yeah Uh, I would say I guess the big thing that this is missing compared to what I know of later Dark Throne is the uh, the kind of motorhead-isms you know, and the, the rock and roll Ooh.
1: shit. Well, there's a lot of double-pedal bass here, but yeah, for sure. There is no, um... Yes, the later later Dark Throne has sort of the new wave of British heavy metal side of Motorhead. And all there's these... Nothing. There's much less... Than the the further it went... <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, the further it went, it got more and more, uh more and more comically heavy metal in a way that was pretty offensive
0: yeah Hmm. um all right so uh i got a track called uh ontard zedalus and godalus uh which is uh degenerate immoral and godless um so this is like i said this is music sort of like brutal death it's all about the details um and like I was saying, a lot of these songs are based off this simple interpolation between these kind of, like, rough stompy riffs and these more dramatic kind of uh, Transylvanian hunger or, like... I keep going back to early mayhem, like a uh, Dead Era mayhem, primitive day mysteries, like Funeral Fog, Freezing Moon type stuff. Um, uh, the tremolo riffs, specifically, from that sort of thing. Uh, but you got a lot of, like, clever songwriting moves, so... Uh, this is the opening couple minutes of this track and you're gonna hear this really kind of stompy you're you're gonna have this nice like sorrowful sorrowful tremolo riff kind of opening things up it's gonna move into a a kind of a misfits DB passage but it keeps this sort of uh, depressive aspect to the courting on that riff and then We get another riff where a really cool harmonized lead emerges kind of out of the fog in a really neat way none of these are incredibly sophisticated techniques but there's these subtle aspects to the way that they're implemented that i think makes it really excellent just a really really nice section of songwriting in general i mean those are all really excellent riffs to me i mean simple extremely traditional second wave stuff but they really hit i think this is my favorite track on the record
1: yeah i can't argue with those i mean that is that is very good and succeeds in being epic in the way that the best the most epic second wave stuff was right without sort of uh um without a lot of and the most like it you can hear it being a little updated relative to the Norse stuff, but mm-hmm. um it's pretty damn like the epic feeling in this like in uh Transylvanian hunger. Right? Yeah, the song. Yeah. Right? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Um I mean I also- those are yeah, those are great riffs. The first one has a thing where like uh um Yeah, it's really just like you know changing a root note and repeating, right? But um, the second iterate, the second half of that riff, a modern band would or a band that was going for a more modern aesthetic that wasn't like didn't understand Dark Throne would have made the second iteration of that riff climb. It's like da 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 da, or something like that, right? It yeah, like yeah. crazy train it. Um, <laughs> this guy just they'd, goes. They'd indicate it just it much harder. It just sinks back down at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which doesn't really make it any less epic sounding. It just um, it just makes it a lot uh, more grim. Yeah, and um, I
0: actually listening to that and listening to my first sample, I'm wondering if this guy isn't listening to like old mutilation stuff but with a different kind of ear for it. Cuz there's mm-hmm. parts of this where it's like it's a like you said it's slightly too updated to be, you know, 1992, but not excessively so. It feels like uh some of these riffs could be more cleanly played and maybe elaborated on versions of, you know, the kind of most beautiful sounding mutilation stuff from uh, Vampires or
1: uh, Remains. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just a beautiful riff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. That's a that. And I, th- I
0: knew that one, that one would justify me enjoying this record. <laughs>
1: yeah i know but uh yeah but bef- before we went on i was like why yeah death metal guy why, why are you so into this and you know i think one reason also especially because it's the sort of thing that second wave you know as he says on the show yeah pure second wave is worship is often not his thing but um one thing i've also realized is just you really actually are a dark throne connoisseur aren't you i
0: i guess i never really thought of myself as that but i did listen to blaze through Panzerfaust like six hundred times a piece when I was a kid. I just don't think about it anymore. You know, it's like that's just third around also... radiation of shit. You know,
1: yeah, but you like you for instance, you like Dark Throne enough that like the cult is alive pissed you off. <laughs> like you didn't you didn't hear it as like a uh, you know oh this is a this is a nod, this is a fun nod to punk heroes, or this is kind of, or just, this is kind of meb, whatever. You were, like, angry at them. No, dude. Transylvanian Hunger was the first song I learned on guitar.
0: Like, no, you can't fucking yeah. do that to me. That's not fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think to you, a band that does the Dark Throne you know really serious sort of well-informed dark throne influence stuff is just gonna be inherently more interesting to you maybe to than to me because i've always just been sort of like positive about dark throne um yeah it's
0: interesting i never really considered them being like because they would not even shit i don't know if they would even crack my top 10 favorite black metal bands but maybe they probably should be there
1: I think they should, yeah, I would consider that, because I think just the way that you like Dark Throne is somewhat different from certainly the way people do now. Um, and uh, y- and you were also, back in the day, always averse to the sort of Transylvanian hunger worship, too. But, like, you know, you have a well-rounded idea of Dark Throne. Um, and I think you also enjoy some of the Middle Era albums, don't you? Uh,
0: yeah, no, uh, Total Death... Is good. Mm-hmm. Goat Lord is really good. And, Goat Lord uh, is yeah. cool. Yeah, and I'll listen to uh, Hate Them and Plague Wielder. Obviously they're lesser, but they're still good records. Yeah.
1: Hate Hate Them is one of those that I want to like because of the nasty title and because of the, the thing, but it's, uh, it's a little boring. But people who say that Dark Throne went in some really stripped down, crusty direction later are like, well, Hate Them also sounds like that. fucking
0: doesn't well Sardonic Wrath is the last acceptable
1: record so oh it's um does okay so it doesn't okay see so I'm wrong about Darkthron um it's uh but yeah um so (laughs) god I almost wanted to end the segment just on you saying no it fucking doesn't um (laughs) but but um yeah that part is great you noted in the in the notes also a misfitzy thing. That for sure is well done, that punky riff. Um mm-hmm. I, here's my last sample. Um so in terms of this guy doing very epic sides of Dark Throne very well, uh this one is D'Alruin. Uh this is about um all the unsavoury characters lurking around under the gallows. Um and uh the uh This track is structured a lot like Dark Throne stuff, and you could hear that Transylvanian's Hunger style of writing in some of the melodies, but it's much more focused on the uh, soaring side of things. Um, And it does a good thing that I think I was talking about on another review recently, where he's trading the harmony sort of spread, is spread out, and then it sort of coalesces in a new riff and then it sort of spreads back out again and coalesces uh, and um, and you get that sort of trading effect here and a bit of a, a mutual a build over the course of that the thing where i kept listening to it
0: um yeah, it's a, everything connects very nicely there
1: yeah it's um it's you know it's got this very uh very simple uh it's got this sort of like ascending kind of brightening major key thing right maybe a little bit of natasha and eternal hunger but like less in eternal sleep rather sorry that's a that's a very different song <laughs> um, but uh um uh sorry yeah, freudian slip um but um the uh um it, a little bit of a natasha eternal sleep kind of thing but um it brightens right and it has this kind of spread out chorded feel and then it just goes into you know um very simple but you can hear the sort of more spread harmony focus around that single kind of Dorian riff Dorian scale Uh riff um and that's another one of the riffs on this record where if you abstract it to note choice it just shouldn't really work you know if you play it that might if you just took the main riff and kazoo tested it it would not sound very good (laughs) but because he's so good with the harmonies um and the timing, uh, it just really sounds great, um, and it has that kind of elemental, uh, elemental five-note thing that you know, bands like Darkthrone could pull off at the very beginning of black metal, and that people since have been uh, had a hard time doing. Um, but uh, what follows after it, is it spreads out again, you start those same chords return. But you start to get these leads chasing each other Um, and the melodies are the melodies get this kind of folky inflection but you get folky melodies kind of interfering with each other in this eerie way. Uh, It's you can hear how the uh, spidery shapes of those is very Dark Throne but taking Dark Throne ideas and making it more folky is also a lot like what Sorin did. and something I very much appreciate about that band so uh, I don't know if that I doubt that's an influence here but it definitely uh, creates an effect that I like a lot <laughs>